boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Binge Boys, we're here with you once again. I'm Hal Rudnick, and across from me on a Zoom call is Lon Harris. Lon, hoot hoot, Lon, hoot hoot. No one can be across from anyone still for like, I don't know, what, eight years now or say 12 years? Oh yeah, give or take. What's, uh, what's yeah. Fauci saying right now? Yeah, we are safely social distanced, talking through an app. Yeah, we're just distanced. This isn't even very social. It, it's it's not it's not very social. It's not particularly social, uh, folks. It's really it's just, all business. It's all it's business. Just distanced. Yes, Lon. Shout out to you. Shout out to Owl Nation. What is happening in what What is happening with you? What is happening? What's happening in, with me? Uh, yeah. Any? Uh, how's your holiday season going? Yeah, we're in that weird moment where it's like, it's actually like the how for me, I don't know how it is for you folks out there. I, I'm sure it's different in different kinds of jobs and cities. But for me, the week or two before you sort of leave for the holiday, like before the holidays formally begin and everybody's off of work, there's like it's very busy, unfortunate two weeks where it's like, oh, we got to wrap up all the stuff before we leave. And it's actually, it's almost like, it's like the anti-holidays. Like before you get to the good cookies no work part watch christmas vacation a few times before you get to that good stuff you got to get through this stuff like hell week where it's like here's all the stuff that you put off that should have been done in like october that we got to get done before everybody leaves the holiday rush the holiday cram gotta get that holiday cram session in i guess it makes you enjoy the holidays when they arrive all the more because then it's like Ah, like, you know, that that feeling of like you set down all your heavy bags and it's like, OK, now I can party, except for this year, because you can't actually party. Yeah, you can't. I mean, unless it's like, I mean, you could have a sad party. I mean, now I could like stare out the window and get smashed on eggnog alone. Merry Christmas. Yeah, yeah. there you go. And, you know, eat, eat a sugar cookie and uh, call it a day. You doing any menorah lighting over there? No. In fact, I, this year, like, I'm always a bad Jew. It's just like, that's kind of my thing. This year in particular, I, like, didn't even remember it was Hanukkah until it was like, I saw people, like, on Facebook, it was like, night four. And I was like, oh, God. Like, I, I just, like, missed the first three entirely. So, yeah, the, <laughs> so the candle magically, the oil is going to last for five nights for me this year. No, I don't, I don't, you know, I honestly, like, I don't even really celebrate the big, important Jew holidays, so, like, the minor Purim Hanukkah ones, like, uh, who's got the time? But, you know, Hanukkah's, it's all about the gift giving, that's why they really dialed up the importance of Hanukkah. The the story of Hanukkah, they always neglect a major part, because everyone, you know that, like, oh, the, the oil in the temple lasted for eight days when it was supposed to run out. Also, uh, a part of the story of Hanukkah, they dialed up the importance so Jews could get gifts during the holiday season yeah. as well. Yeah, we're a bunch of posers. And, like, young Jews felt weird in America because they make such a big deal out of Christmas. And, uh, you know, that, that, that Jews wanted their own thing. It, it, it's, it's a minor holiday in terms of the actual religion. It's also, like every Jewish holiday, it's fundamentally a depressing story. It's like it's there. They're always like we were almost dead. And then at the last second, some of us didn't die. Happy Purim. Here's a cookie. It's always that it's there's it's never just good. 
Like Christmas is well, just I think good. most holiday. I, most holiday, like like Christmas and Easter are like you know. Um, Easter's got uh, a negative vibe. I agree because it's a dude being murdered. But Christmas. Oh yeah, Christmas. I guess is the birth. It's all. It's pure good. Christmas is just happy, holy, silent, and merry, and gifts and cookies and bells. And like there's and consumerism no, and capitalism. There's no darkness. It's like, okay, if you believe in the Krampus, but that's mostly just people pretending. Or Jack Skellington, but that's just Tim Burton pretending. I, I, I know you're a, like, you're a socialist, right, Lon? How dare you? No, don't put that in public. Yes, no, I, I mean, I, I listen. I feel like a democratic <laughs> socialist. Like, no, well, it's important. Like, I don't think the government should be like seizing the means of production, that kind of socialist. But, like, the kind of socialism they have in, like, Denmark, I'm like, yes. Like, that makes a lot of sense to me. So a democratic socialist. Yeah, I think the, the capitalism has taken over the uh, the season a little bit. But, listen, I like gifts. Uh, we're, we're lighting the menorah over here. My, my wife is a real weird Jew. She likes to light the menorah and have a Christmas decorations. I don't think that's that weird. Honest. Like, that's what my, my take on it is. If you're not a religious Jew and you're just doing Hanukkah for like the I, I want to have a December holiday end of the year experience, I say just celebrate Christmas. It's not really very churchy Christmas. You could get a tree and give presents. I like trees and presents and cookies and cakes. I like and, the lights. Yeah. And giving presents. And I like the tree. Oh, I love peppermint bark, like dark chocolate with a pe- piece of peppermint in it. Oh, give me that peppermint bark. Red and green, better holiday colors than silver and blue. Like, I'm just being honest, <laughs> folks. I'm just being honest. Listen, I, I don't think there's a, I don't really think that we have this need for Hanukkah anymore. I feel like we should just, Christmas is, is now an America holiday. That's a bridge too far. That's a bridge too far. I think Hanukkah will, I like keeping it as like uh, Christmas's little brother. <laughs> It's like uh, with the dreidel and the raises. It's like in every way, it's like the karab. Yeah, dreidel, 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 latkes. What about your latkes? In every way, it's the karab to Christmas's chocolate bar. In every way, it's like the inferior, like, do you want the Pepsi with sugar? I, I call it, you call it karab. I call it carob. Is it carob or karab? I've been saying karab this whole time like an idiot. I've, that's the first time I've heard karab. I thought it was carob. It could be carob, and I just don't know what I'm talking about. Should never eat that stuff. It's disgusting. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a poor substitute. A poor substitute. A poor. Right. It's like the inferior beta version of it, and I don't think that's true of Judaism and Christianity more generally, folks. So that's why I'm like, we should not make this subservient secondary holiday. Just have Christmas for everyone now. And if you if you want Christ to be part of it, awesome. And if you just want it to be Santa. Also awesome. Absolutely, no, absolutely. I I agree. You can you can enjoy you can enjoy Christmas in a secular way if if you want, uh, which which I do. Yeah, good peace on earth and goodwill toward men. That's the Christians do not have a monopoly on that. We all like that. Listen, whatever gets you through the dark and lonely night. Happy holidays, everyone. We all enjoy Scrooge and Christmas vacation, and you can't take that away. Hell yeah. That's been Holiday Talk with Lon and Hal. Thanks for tuning in. Lon, let's let's get into some streaming stuff. Sure. What, uh, I, I know we were talking some pieces, there's a couple of pieces of news out there. There are. And I, I had to say, maybe not the top streaming stories of the week for the whole world, but in my heart, as, a, as an aging guy who loves 
classic TV. This was the top story for me. We've got not one but two big reboots announced just this week. Fox is going to do a new Fantasy Island. That's with the creators of The 100, that CW show. And it's unlike the Blumhouse take last year where it was more like horror, Michael Pena. Yeah, because when I heard this, I was just like, oh, didn't we just have a Fantasy Island? And, and it was Michael Pena as like a dark Mr. Rourke. And it's more like, it's more like monkey's paw. Like you get your fantasy, but it, oh, I did not in this way. Ah, now I'm scared. This is not that. This is going to be more like the conventional version where it's an hour-long anthology drama. People show up at the island. They experience their wildest fantasies and learn about themselves and valuable lessons and blah, blah. Yeah, So, and to fill people in because it was in the early 80s, so a lot of people uh, listening to this might not have even been alive then. I believe it was the 60s and 70s, wasn't it? 70s and 80s. I, I'd, I'd be willing to put a wager that uh, Fantasy Island was airing in the 80s. No, you may be right. I, I'm probably, you are right. It's 77 to 84. I don't know why I thought Fantasy Island was earlier, but you are correct. Oh, that was, a, yeah, showing a nice uh, seven-year run there. So, yeah, yeah it was uh, Ricardo Montalban and Tattoo. Yes. The little person portrayed by Peter Dinklage in... Well, Hervé Villachez is the little person in Fantasy Island. Peter Dinklage played him in that in that HBO movie, My my Night with yes, Hervé. Yes, Hervé Villachez portrayed Tattoo. Right. And, and then Peter Dinklage yeah, portrayed Hervé Villachez. And Villachez Villages portrayed Peter... Uh, or, or Peter Dinklage portrayed Hervé Villachez. Right. Anyway. It sounded like Peter Dinklage was in Fantasy Island. I was like, he's too young, folks. Yes. So, uh, yeah, and people, B-list and C-list TV personalities would arrive on Fantasy Island and they'd, they'd, they'd get their dreams or they'd get to get in touch with parts of their lives and, and have their wishes fulfilled. So I guess we're going to see, what, like Alfonso Ribeiro and Alicia Silverstone Yeah, I was, I was like, I bet Michael Chiklis is going to have all of his wildest fantasies realized. But, you know, even in the old show, I would say for the record... It was not totally, like, weird, supernatural, horror, even free. So I'm sure there will be some of that. Like, Mr. Rourke always was, like, a kind of mysterious character. And there are even episodes that imply he might be, like, the devil. Or there was some dark aspect to him offering you a glimpse of, like, a life you could live or whatever. Yeah, it was like oftentimes like just dream fulfillment. Like I've always like an, an elderly woman would would come to the island and be like, I always dreamed of dancing, but I never got to dance with the grand ballet. And then it's like, oh, she gets to dance for uh, half the episode and uh, ring a ding ding her dream. But there was always like there was often that kind of like monkey's paw twist. Like I remember one where there's a woman who like. She's like a, a Jack the Ripper expert, and she dreams of like going back and researching herself, and then she goes back to Jack the Ripper times and almost gets killed by Jack the Ripper. Because it's like, oh, this is what you wanted. You wanted to experience the Jack the Ripper murders. <laughs> so there is like that. There was always that thing. So I dream of, still... My dream is to get murdered by a famous murderer. Right, exactly. You get what I'm saying. So there's that one. There's another. That's not the only reboot that was announced this week, shockingly. Oh, NBC, give me them reboots. NBC also bringing back Night Court. And this isn't a reboot. Wow. This is a sequel series. This is like continuing the story. It's going to be about Harry Anderson's daughter. And John Larroquette is going to reprise his role as Dan Fielding, I believe. 
Oh man, the sleazy problematic lawyer. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a, such a weird choice to me on so many levels. Like do people cuz Night Court's not to me one of those series that I feel like is like a lot of people still fondly know and remember and think about. Like Cheers, yes. Oh, I mean, Cheers had such an epic run. Well, and Cheers inspired Frasier. And I just mean, like, there's only a few shows from that era that I feel like are really stuck transcended in the, public. the era. Yeah, like stuck in the public consciousness for whatever reason, like because they spawned a big career. Like, you know, Roseanne came back as the Connors or whatever. But like, but like Night Court? Like, I don't feel like it's in that echelon of shows. I feel like it's a relic. Like, it was on for a bunch of years. But I don't know. It feels like a relatively disposable classic show. But it was a very good show. It had a nice gritty feel and a great, great workplace comedy and such a strong ensemble of characters. You had Richard Mull as Bull and you had Marshall Warfield. Marshall Warfield. Right, yeah. Uh, Harry Anderson, of course. Uh, Marky Post. Yeah, right. We could go through the whole Night Court cast, yeah. Yeah, and then and the, and then a cool theme song that saxophone. Oh, now we just that's it. Now we just got copyright dinged for for playing the night court theme. Oh, uh, li- listen, I, I think I I was just under the wire with how much I I hummed right there. So people weren't clamoring for this, but they're bringing it back anyway. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess that's that's the that's the story as far as I can tell. Like, all right, I guess. What was that show? La- John Larroquette had uh, an- another show. It was called the was John the, uh... Larroquette Show, where he was the manager yes. of the bus station. Mm-hmm. I actually, of the two shows, that would be the one I think is more interesting to bring back. Like, that's the one I remember, where uh, Chai McBride was the was the custodian, and Daryl Chill Mitchell ran the like lunch counter. That was a fun show because he it was it was like darker. Like Night Court was kind of silly. John Larroquette was like he was like a recovering alcoholic, and it was like a pretty a pretty bleak show. Yeah, well, Night Court dealt with some serious themes. Like you were, I mean, you were dealing with the legal system, right? And like they were, you know, all the cases were like drunks and you know bums and whatever. Yeah, that that seedy kind of setting. So the Night Court will be raising the gavel once again. Lon. I guess. Yeah, we'll see. Peacock yeah. catching up. Peacock. For- one other one other news story yeah. to jump into before we go into reviews and such. Hulu is going to make a series about Pam Anderson and Tommy Lee and their tumultuous relationship with a special focus on, of course, the infamous sex tape. Seth Rogen, who's producing through Point Grey along with Evan Goldberg, he's going to be in this show. He's going to play the guy who steals the sex tape, of course. See, I didn't even I didn't even know that the I didn't realize that's how it got out. The sex tape got stolen. I, I just assumed like, oh, those crazy kids just uh, released it into the world. I think it was one of those things where it happened against their will. But then once it did, they kind of like owned it. They were like, oh, OK, well, there it is. You know, like rather than, oh, I'm humiliated. You know, like I think that was their take on it. Didn't fellow Motley Crew member Vince Neal also end up having a sex tape? I believe he did. Yes. I, believe, I mean, even if. Even if I couldn't remember the specifics, I would just agree with you because that sounds right. But I'm going to ask, okay, I, th- I think I remember a specific here, Lon. I, I, I see you looking it up there. I am looking it up, yeah. Oh, yeah. I believe Vince Neal's sex tape was with, I forget her name, but was with the porn star who was 
played the nurse on the cover of the Blink-182 album. You nailed it. Her name is Janine Lindemolder, but yes, she is Janine. the enema of the state nurse album yes. cover. Yes, that's her. Yeah, Correct. Oh, you know what? Again, I prove to be a real, <laughs> my knowledge of yeah. 90s porn star. Your 90s tabloid <laughs> trivia mind, sharp as always, Hal. Yeah, so that's, that's the show. It's going to start Lily James and Sebastian Stan as Pam Anderson and Tommy Lee. And it's going to come from uh, Craig Gillespie, who directed I, Tanya is going to direct. He worked with so Sebastian Stan. That's their, their, they worked together previously in that project. Lon, can you give me an impression of Seth Rogen creeping in to steal the sex tape? I don't really do a very good Seth Rogen. We're like, oh, it gets a little... <laughs> just gonna take this <laughs> that's fine that's, I can't do this uh, that was pretty good that was pretty good oh this looks like a sex tape oh, oh, oh. that's about it <laughs> it's, there you go Seth Rogen I mean like that of course he casts they're, they're, you know of course he casts himself as like the creepiest guy creeping around stealing yeah. sex tapes now how do I say this delicately? L- Lily James, Pamela Anderson is a, a very like hourglass shape. She's uh, a very um, she's known for being like a a busty playmate, and I feel like Lily James is more of a more of a slight frame. Uh, not that that matters, but if you're it getting doesn't matter. But I think I, I think to me, coming from the Itanya guys, I, I, I feel like this is going to be a comical take on this situation, somewhat satirical. And they will probably have fun with that. Like they will, they, you know, like they'll, they'll probably have fun with how they make Lily James look more like Pamela Anderson. And that'll be one of those things they tease in advance with photos. And here's our first look at Lily James and Sebastian Stan in character as Pam and Tommy, you know, like, so I feel like they're doing that on purpose to make people like you on podcasts have to awkwardly broach the subject of breast size. Oh, yes. I love awkwardly broaching. So. I think you do. You're an awkward broacher from way back. Indeed. But I think, yeah, but Lily James, like, just, you know, she looks the part, like, of, uh, like in the face a little bit. I it's, not a, it's not a, like, a perfect match. I think it's one of those situations where they're, they're, they're making you intrigued so that you'll want to see more of what they end up looking like. Right. You know, like when they cast like Nicole Kidman as somebody she doesn't look like. And then they're like, look, she's wearing a crazy nose. And you're like, oh, OK, that's good enough. Yeah. I buy well, it. I, yeah. And well, this this sounds like a, a fun project. I mean, I, I, I enjoyed I got just you know, it was a fun, dumb watch that Netflix Motley Crue movie, The Dirt. That was a good time. So it seems like, you know, that vein. I'm a, I'm a sucker for uh, a little bit of hair metal and all the, the trappings. So. Yeah, well, I mean, it's right. It's just focused on the relationship, but I'm sure there'll be some some crew, some motley crew, and maybe we'll get a scene of them having sex with burritos to cover up the smell of their girlfriends on their genitals. <laughs> Is you know that, that a thing? Oh yeah, that's the the infamous anecdote from the motley crew autobiography was when they would be, you know, coming back from the tour, and their junk would be smelling like whatever lady they were with. They would get a bunch mm-hmm. of burritos. And they would have sex with the burritos in order to cover uh, the smell. Now, in the book, there was nobody there to be like, why wouldn't you just take a shower? But I think we can all imagine that I'm sure they had some response that they would have given if that was posed. Because that's that's obviously the first question you'd ask. It's like, well, 
yeah, I'm 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 old fashioned. Um, I, I, my I, my choice would be to wash my balls. Yeah, soap will cover it just as well as guacamole, but I guess that's not the way that Motley Crue rolls. So, but you know what? I might have to give that a try. I might head out to Del Taco no, after would, we get done well, recording. Now with Del, at least get like a good quality, like a like a large burrito, California style burrito. Del Taco. Okay, you could do better. So you're saying I should go to a, a, a finer. Like, uh, like a local place where, you know, an, an authentic burrito, not like you could do better than Del Taco. We're in Southern California. Yes, maybe uh, the famed El Coyote where uh, Sharon Tate enjoyed her last. But get it to go. Don't do not in El Coyote. Well, thankfully, we are in covid time. So my desire to have sex with a burrito on the middle of a table in El Coyote cannot be realized. Yet. Yes. But thanks to the vaccine, I'll be able to do that soon. Hold on, let's talk about some stuff that we watched. Speaking sure. of the metal of Motley Crue, oh, wow. we Look both watched Sound of Metal. Yes. With Riz Ahmed. Yes, that was uh, that. what a perfect layup of a segue that was. Uh, Sound of Metal, uh, Riz Ahmed, and uh, from, it was directed by the guy who wrote Place Beyond the Pines. No. It was not. It was he. Did, Derek C. in France is the guy who did Place Beyond the Pines and Blue Valentine. It's based on an idea he had. He made, I believe, a short film years ago with this general idea. And then a good friend of his, whose name I will look up, actually took that idea and made this new film out of it. And he is the director. And his name is Darius Martyr. So this movie was co-written and directed by Darius Martyr, but inspired by a story by Darius Martyr's friend, Derek C. in France, who's the guy you're thinking. Thank you for clarifying that. I, I love it when I, I bring something up and you're like, actually, that is patently incorrect. Actually, well, no, because I, I thought the same thing at first because I'd seen from the creator of Blue Valentine, A Place Beyond the Pines, and I thought, naturally, this would be his new film. But no, it's like he came up with this idea and then this other guy had an idea to expand it and he was like, Go do it, because he's a generous soul, I suppose. And was this his his uh, first feature? I believe it was. I believe this is Darius Martyr's directorial feature directorial debut. Yeah, I found this really competently made. It had an earnest vibe to it. It kind of reminded me, I mean, not in subject matter at all, but just in the scope and scale of it, because it is kind of, you know, a smaller scale film. And just the scope definitely has an indie feel. Uh, reminded me a little bit, Justin Feel, to Peanut Butter Falcon from uh, last year. And uh, I think Riz Ahmed was pretty great. His performance was actually, you know, kind of heartbreaking at times as he plays this drummer whose life is music, his life is sound, literally. And he unexpectedly, just from out of nowhere, goes deaf. Yeah, I think it's a, you know, a, a movie like this, I think it's uh it's about how there's no easy answer. Sometimes life throws you these these situations and it's it's lose-lose and it doesn't seem like there's any way out of it and it's so tempting for filmmakers. Audiences crave this on some level and it's very tempting as a storyteller to give people what they want, which is a a pat ending, which is it sometimes seems like you're in a situation with no answers, but then actually there is an answer, and it's this. I always give the example of Sideways, which is with Paul Giamatti, which is a movie I enjoy, and it's not tonally similar to this. I don't mean to compare them directly, 
But that's a movie that presents you with this guy who's got this very challenging, very difficult, seemingly intractable situation, which is just that he's getting older and he's very lonely, but he's also idiosyncratic and it's hard for him to connect to people and, and all, all this other stuff. But I feel like Sideways at the very end goes for a pat ending. It's like, ah, but he's going to meet Virginia Madsen and everything's going to work out. And like, we want that on some level. It sounds good, but it, it, it feels hollow. And Sound of Metal never does that. It doesn't ever give in to that temptation to give you the easy out, to give you the easy answer. And I, I don't want to give anything away, but or to give you the pat conclusion. And I, I really admire that as a, as a piece of storytelling. It always feels like what happens is true to the people in the scenario and the situation. And that's, that's why it happens as opposed to because he wants to get you to point C. Absolutely. And I thought he did a, a really great job. I mean, if anyone is, if you've ever yourself or a loved one has gone through a medical situation where you've had to see a series of doctors and are getting like, aren't getting any answers to what you need. And you're kind of seeing your way, feeling your way through the dark of a kind of uh, murky medical situation. It's scary. And it's, and it's frustrating. Like, immensely frustrated, just the most vexing thing in the world. And he conveys that really well. And one of the really impressive things about this film is what they do with the sound design to convey this loss of hearing because it plays, it goes in and out of what Riz Ahmed is hearing or lack thereof as he's going through this and the various stages of his hearing loss and his road to recovery of his healing. And, and that, it, it's, it really sucks you in, and it's pretty impactful. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it makes you aware of the loss. Like, like, what I think a lot of conventional stories would have done is we would just, we would maybe hear for a moment what it's like to be losing your hearing or to be deaf, and then we would spend the rest of the movie hearing. But the movie, this film, constantly puts you back into his world, and so you notice when you start to hear again, how much easier it is to communicate, how much simpler it is to figure out what's going on or to follow conversations. And it's sort of forcing you, you know, because he's not somebody who's become accustomed to not being able to hear. He's in this very fresh state for almost the whole film of, of you know, flailing about, like suddenly having a loss of hearing, like all of a sudden not knowing how to communicate at all. And so I think it's very effective at putting you into that, into that mindset. Olivia Cook is also, I should note, very good as like the his girlfriend and his sort of partner in these this metal group that they're in cuz she's also sort of our like at, at the beginning we're sort of following him and it's his story but she's also kind of our way in for a lot of it like you're sort of forced to also confront it from her hearing perspective of well how would you how would you deal with this person who's suddenly thrown into this state of chaos mm-hmm. and he also plays, uh, they bo- I think they both play recovering addicts in the film. I would have liked to have known a little bit more about their journeys prior. I wouldn't mind of seeing maybe, I don't know, the flashback or just because we, we just gloss over some of that stuff and mention it. No, I mean, I don't, I, I think it works. Like, I, I like the idea that we kind of don't know them outside of this con. Like, we get the context we need, especially by the time you get to the end of the film. I think you get the context that you need to follow this journey. And, you know, it's really not about them as a couple. I think it's about what this sudden change does to 
him and the, the, the choices that it sort of forces him to then start making, like many of which don't even have to do with losing your hearing. But the crux of it is about, yeah, the journey that they're on immediately right there. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really well told. And I like so many of the supporting characters as well is, uh, he goes to a commune for deaf people and the guy who's the, the head of that facility is, he does a fantastic job and, uh, yeah, good, good performances all around. And I appreciate what you were saying earlier, Lon, about there not being a perfectly pat ending really worth checking out, uh, sound of metal on 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 Amazon Prime Amazon Prime Sound of Metal you can watch it for free now one thing i wonder it says the movie came out in 2019 that's just festivals it's this year it was it was at festivals gotcha. starting last year gotcha so yeah who knows riz ahmed fantastic performance and really uh, a lot of you know heartbreaking soulful moments there so who knows maybe uh, he'll get who a little knows? recognition for this Sound of Metal on Amazon Prime. Lon, we both watched Wolf Walkers on Apple Plus. Apple TV Plus. Apple TV Plus Wolf Walkers, which is an Irish animated film, a little bit of uh, good old-fashioned 2D animation. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed this. I thought it was it, it was just an, a nice story about these these two girls who were seemingly completely different coming together on this adventure yeah it's from an, an, an irish studio cartoon saloon they also did uh the secret of kells a few years ago which is a, a really well-regarded one and uh song of the sea uh, and there's a few others it's beautifully animated i mean they they do this animation it's it's not only like gorgeous to see 2d animation still in this sort of more classic style, but theirs is, I mean, it, it has like a children's storybook kind of effect. It also kind of looks like, cause it's set in 1650 and they sort of made a lot of the designs look like art from, from that era. Like it's kind of things are, things are flat and like it, it's sort of a lot of the designs and the shapes of everything resemble kind of medieval or late medieval or even Northern Renaissance art, I guess would be this period. Forgive me, art historians out there. So I loved that. It's very colorful. Like, it's a beautiful-looking movie. It's so intricate and detailed, too. I mean, you just get lost in these scenes and vistas, and all the characters are very elaborately designed. Yeah, when you're looking at all the spires and the rooftops of these cities, they're so well-drawn and really kind of just cool to look at. Yeah, I mean, it's almost reminiscent of, like, Studio Ghibli, like, Miyazaki, almost, you're reminded of, like, that level of detail. But I have to say, like, I... It's a very, like, straightforward fable kind of storytelling. Like, there's not a lot of surprises. It felt like a story that was kind of for young children. And maybe, you know, it is. Like, it's an animated movie for families. I don't mean to take that away from it. But I don't know. It, it didn't, it wasn't, I, I wasn't riveted by the story or the characters. It was really the animation that I was yeah, so it struck is, by. It is a simple and straightforward story. But it, it's it's well told, and uh, there are a couple of turns in there. But there are just very kind of your standard bad guy, and you know the the misunderstood good guys, and uh, yeah, it, it's a fun it's a fun adventure. It didn't remake uh, the, the wheel or anything like that. They're not they didn't necessarily build a better mousetrap here. It's kind of like it really takes kind of the 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 same path that. 
you know, some of your standard, like Disney fare or like any well-told adventure where uh, you have good versus evil and you're trying to save, you know, it, it also reminded me a little bit of just the storytelling, which was extremely derivative of like an avatar or something like that. Right. The, the very straightforward message. It's like Oliver Cromwell is the bad guy, oddly enough. And like he, it is based on this real moment in history where Oliver Cromwell was leading the British forces in Ireland. And he's ordered Sean Bean, who is a hunter to clear this big area of forest next to the town of, I want to say Kilkenny, Ireland. And so Sean Bean and his, he brings his daughter there and he's trying to clear out all the wolves. And meanwhile, she befriends this young girl who is a wolf walker, which means she can turn into a wolf and communicate with the wolves. And so, yes, then it becomes that pretty standard, like the ally of the hunter gets to know the prey that's being hunted and sympathize with. And are we going to side with the hunter versus the hunted and that sort of stuff? And like, look, I'm not saying it's like, obviously, that's a classic story and i get it and it felt very authentic to that kind of fairy tale traditional storytelling i'm just saying like i don't know to me like if disney were doing this or pixar or whatever there'd be a some kind of more surprising subversive element and this just felt like that kind of story retold with particularly beautiful animation yeah it's Again, it didn't light the world on fire, but, you know, it's uh, an enjoyable tale, an enjoyable fable. I will say that, yeah, Sean Bean's hunter, a, a, a terrible hunter. I don't think he killed one thing. No, he does. He's not very successful. He's he's really he's very passive. It's like you got you, you got two days to clear an entire forest of wolves. Like you can't just like set a trap and go home. Like you got to be out there like you got to stalk these wolves, man. Like. Get a like it's sixteen fifty like get a friggin crossbow or something man like like Oliver Cromwell's right to yell at him where it's like you're not doing a very good job yeah like you got to set up like one of those those, those little uh, things like the hunter sits in and just like sits out there all night long where you're 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 waiting for the creature a blind I believe that would be called like he he's clocking in he's doing like nine to five hours and clocking out and going home and it's like it's not it's not a very impressive showing that he's making and also these wolves they like they do a, they do the same little leap move every time like you could you could figure out the timing on it pretty easily it's like it's like a Mike Tyson's punch out villain where it's like oh I just wait in the third bounce it'll be right there Third bounce and then boom, AAB, knock them out. Yeah, but nope, no bueno. You know, I I was thinking, uh, like, wolves are such a cool animal. Like, they've got a, a, some real mystique, and like, you have, they talk about, oh, someone who runs with the wolves. And like, well, I feel like this is a traditional Irish belief, right? I would, like, wolf, they, maybe there are Irish people who once believed in wolf walkers. I mean, I'm just assuming. Perhaps, per, per, perhaps uh, there, there were uh, Irish people who believed this silly fairy tale to be true. I guess these guys could have just made that, made that whole thing up. I mean, yeah, you know, I, I should have done my research. Is this based on uh truth? There's, there's like Irish people. There's like Irish people listening to this, like just disbelief right now. Yeah. Like what are wolf walkers? You think we really believe in these dumb wolf walkers? <laughs> no, that's not Scottish. Listen to these, these stupid binge boys don't believe in our, don't know the the lore of the wolf walker. They never had a wolf walker in Kilcarney. <laughs> Kilcarney or Kilkenny? 
I don't know, man. Cork. I wish they'd said cork so it would be easier to remember. Right. But, you know, I, I think it'd be fun if you had, like, what, 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 like, wolves are such a cool animal. What, what, what if it was uh, skunk walkers, Juan? And uh, so at, at night, these, these, these people would close their eyes and become, they'd be able to become skunks and go around and spray people. Yeah, I mean, that's just farts. I mean, it's immediately you just jump to, like, you're, if you're a, a human who becomes a skunk, you're, you're just farting on people. That's, that's all that is. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that would be a fun sequel uh, from the people who brought you wolf walkers. Or, or dogs. I guess you're really farting more on dogs. Well, not a lot of people getting sprayed by skunks these days. Well, but you got to be careful. I mean, they I feel like in my as... neighborhood there are a lot of skunks, but it's always the dog getting sprayed that's the major concern. It's not me. I'm not really living in fear of. Them. Oh no, that's just carelessness. Yes, if if you let your dog run around when, with a skunk or a skunk walker out there. Yeah, no, I'm saying me. Like a dog, sometimes you can't control. They just run up to the skunk and get sprayed. What are you going to do? I'm saying if I get sprayed by a skunk, that's just carelessness on my part. You've got oh, plenty yeah. of reaction. You, Unless you're like, oh, <laughs> who's got that skunk weed? Somebody's smoking. I want to see if I can get a, a hit of that skunk weed. And then you're like, oh, no, it's an actual skunk. And then you get blasted by that skunk stink. Not a lot of weed experience, I'm guessing, because actual weed and skunk smell, not very similar. Like, really not. I know that's the slang. It's that you could eat. You could very quickly tell the difference. Okay, I have opened up a a container of weed before in my home, and my wife was like, "What is that skunk? Is there a skunk that literally happened?" Not an experienced weed smoker, your your wife. I'm assuming. Correct. Correct. Right. I, I, I think it's not hard for me to distinguish those two smells. Is what I'm saying. One is like, "Oh, what's going on over there? I'm going to join this party." One is like, taco, stay away from me. I'm glad you are going to avoid getting sprayed, Lon. Uh, also, I think uh, another another sequel to Wolf Walkers I would like to see are Possum Walkers, where... Very similar. You've gone for two almost identical animals. <laughs> well, possums are, 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 little trash, are little trash goblins. <laughs> right. And so I'd like to see people just morph into these possums and then dive into the trash. Why is everybody becoming a rodent in your in, in your fantasies? I don't know. Like, you could have gone anywhere with this bit. Could have gone whale walkers, falcon walkers, falcon flyers. I True. You went, you went one skunk, two possum? All trash-residing small mammals. Wait, are, are, uh, do, do skunks reside in the trash? Skunks love trash, don't they? Come on, they must. Good to know. Yeah, I just wanted to keep. I just wanted to keep it all to the forest. I got another idea. Wait for it. Raccoon walkers. Ooh. See, now we're a very, very close family of 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 rodent walkers. Here. Mink walkers. What'd you say? I said mink. Mink walkers. Ferret walkers. I'm just going for like small rodent-like mammals. Yes. Badger walkers. Yeah, chinchilla walkers. Just like you could have elephant walkers. Like there's there's no limit. You could have gone anywhere. Beetle walkers. Or you can make it human. What, what about like bus driver walkers? So it's a it's a person and then they can leave their body and inhabit the body of a bus driver. Yeah. 
So they're, ooh, I'm driving a bus. You could also just quit your current job and just become a bus driver. Well, that's a big, that's a major upheaval. Right. This is like, no, I want to keep my current gig, but I would just like to experience the world occasionally from the perspective of a bus driver. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like Sandra Bullock. That's exactly how Sandra Bullock feels. Yes, in speed. So Wolf Walkers, you can find that on Apple TV+. Plus. And yeah, a fun little trifle, an enjoyable animated rollicking adventure. And I thought it's it's nice to see these uh, two young female protagonists have this adventure because we need more uh, uh, women in these kind of adventures. No, sure. Okay, sure. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of animated films about little girls, but uh, uh, sure, I won't disagree with you. Take that, Moana. You're yesterday's news. <laughs> Wolf Walkers, Apple TV Plus. Don't forget the plus, because then it's just a platform. Coming up, we will talk about Alice in Borderland on Netflix. Lon, we both watched some or all of Alice in Borderland, a new Japanese show on Netflix. It's based uh, on a manga. Yes. Yeah. Some, some Japanese manga. So th- there were aspects of the show that I really liked. There were aspects of the show where I was like, uh, it took me out of it. I loved this thing. I thought this was so fun. It's like it's like Battle Royale. Did you ever see that movie Battle Royale? That yes, absolutely. Movie? It reminds me of that, where it's like they've thought of this incredibly complicated, difficult to set up, like impossible scenario. It's so like weird, and it takes them so long to establish, and you're just like, what what is this but then once they get that once you're on board it's just like relentless it's just like where the hell is this gonna go and it's crazy so the setup is i'll do real briefly it's you starts with with three friends they're in tokyo all of a sudden there's like some sort of power surge power goes down everywhere they're in a they're in a public restroom they emerge everyone's gone the whole city of tokyo essentially empty there are now lasers in the sky that can murder you in an instant and that are monitoring everyone who's still alive everywhere they go. And every day you have the option of participating in a life or death, very elaborately staged game. And the games are all different. They're, they're some sort of like they're based on real world games. So like hide and seek or whatever tag or whatever, but Life or death. So it's always about murdering the other people or getting murdered or running out of time and then you die. It's very brutal and violent. Again, Battle Royale, obviously an inspiration point. Yeah, it it, it reminded me of, well, in a, in a weird way, the Saw franchise. It was like, what if Jigsaw was a gamer? Right, you know? what if Jigsaw had like omnipresent power? Like, Because it's that, but the Saw movies are always like, well, how could any person have set this thing up? It's so intricate. And then like unpacking how Jigsaw did it. Whereas this is just like the, the only way that anybody could pull this off is like, it's gotta be, I mean, I don't know the answer yet, but it's gotta be like aliens or they're in some kind of simulation or like, it's impossible. It's physically impossible to, to, to create this reality. Oh yeah. It's, it's some omnipotent force that's controlling it. They're in an alternate dimension or something. It's not like a company is doing this. The adventures, like every time they get into game mode and they're in like, you know, basically what is like a next level or the uh, on some sort of mission, 
that stuff is really fun, super engaging, and it's well done taking kind of these just regular buildings or like places uh, that are turned by this omnipotent force into the game field, the battlefield, as it were. So I I love the adventure. Now, when it got into some of the emotional moments and the characters when they're not in the adventure that they're then it's like it real a lot of it really rings false like there's like in the first like two or three episodes there's this poorly drawn female character who like you don't know a lot about and then you just learn that she's like very emotionally vulnerable and like just having like all sorts of weird sex and that is totally unmotivated. No, they explain that. They explain what that was about. That you got to get you got to go a little it. bit, but it still feels so flimsy and fa- like the emotional moments are laughable sometimes. I, I mean, I don't like I think it, it, it it's reminiscent of, you know, like it's that kind of a story. Like like it's more about this crazy scenarios and the life or death situations. Some of the characterization is a little perfunctory, but I, I don't know if I totally agree. I think it's doing a pretty good job of like the same thing that Walking Dead does, which is like it's about these characters in this survival scenario, and then you sketch in a little background for them so you feel like you're getting to know them. But it's really like you don't want to spend too much time because, well, it's live or die. Like every episode, the kind of idea, like we've got a main hero that we're following. And then other than that, everyone else is like, they could go at any time. Yeah, they're expendable. So you can't spend more than an episode being like, what's that guy's backstory? Because then we know that they're going to live. True. But yeah, just when they want it to be emotional, even when they're in the midst of a game, I don't know. I just find the heart and the emotion are laughably drawn sometimes. I mean, I don't know. The emotion is, oh, God, these guys are going to get butchered by this thing. Like, whatever the thing is. Like- no, but, they're, like, they're, and I think in episode, in episode three, you know, I don't want to give too much away, but some some stuff goes down, and w- one of our main guys loses someone close to him, and just, oh, this montage of what they all went through. I don't know. I just found it incredibly cheesy. But... The gameplay and the journey and the the gaming aspect of it, super fun, on point, yeah, action packed. I thought I thought it was really fun. Like I blazed through this whole show. I thought it was really fun, and it is. It's like it's like it's it feels like a comic book. Like it's very much that kind of comic book logic, and you just get sucked in by this crazy scenario. The one thing I will say is it is very violent. Like even in America, this would be like the most violent movie that got made, or the most violent show that got made in like years. In Japan, it's just like, wow, that's pretty violent. But it is like every episode has like at least one or two like really bad bloodening where somebody just gets ripped apart because it's that kind of game where it's just like super savage and you just get like, that's part of what the show is about, I think, is like the grind of that, that like every time they go into one of these games, which they have to do or or they'll be killed, they it's just like a death march. You know somebody's not getting out of this alive and you're going to see it happen in front of you. Yeah, and similar to, in that respect, to uh, Battle Royale, which you aptly mentioned. And, uh, you know, definitely, you know, Hunger Games vibe, also reminiscent of all those things. Running Man, which is a criminally underrated film. One of my, maybe my favorite. Well, why do you make that face? Running Man is amazing. I like it. I like it. I I, I like it. I I, I mean, I don't know. I I feel like it's rated. I feel like we all get how good. You think Running Man's properly rated? I think, because when people bring up... 
When people bring up best Schwarzenegger, they're always going to say, oh, T2 or Predator. You think it's better than T2 and Predator? Here's a, here's a hot take. I prefer Running Man to wow. Predator. Okay. Well, that that is, I don't agree with that. I like Running Man, but I don't, I don't think it's better than Predator. Sure, I would say sure. it's like on a commando um, par. Like I feel like those are roughly equitable. Oh, Running like, Man, far superior to Commando, far superior to Total Recall. Commando has one shot. I, I I rewatched some stuff from Commando recently, and there's one moment where Schwarzenegger. It's like when he's 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 taking over that whole compound, like towards the end. He takes cover behind a bed of flowers. There's a guy shooting at him, and he's behind a shed, and he runs and dives. And he, there's only it's a it's flowers. It's a bed of flowers. It's like well, you know, bullets can uh-huh. go through that, Arnold. Like I don't think that's very good cover. Useless. You might as well just <laughs> run. Like hey, why are you taking cover behind these pretty flowers? But uh, a fun movie. A fun movie. Flowers do not have bulletproof properties. So Allison Borderland of also a comically heavy-handed name for the series as well. That is weird. I will say this. Okay, as long like I. It, it is trying to do, like, an Alice in Wonderland theme where, like, they're going into this, like, never-never-land or, you know, Wonderland, like, impossible alternate world. Like, they tumble down the, you know, the rabbit hole or whatever. And then playing cards, which are another Alice in Wonderland motif, play heavily into the game. Like, they're collecting cards and each game is identified by a card. But other than that, there is not a lot to connect this to Alice in Wonderland. It's pretty flimsy. And if that's going to be your title and guiding motif for the whole show, I do think you've got to give me a little bit more of an actual Alice in Wonderland vibe. Like, shouldn't they be getting their assignments from like a Cheshire Cat or there's going to be like or a some, Mad Hatter. some Caterpillar type character or like just something. When I hear Alice in Wonderland, I think surreality. I think nonsense or like nonsense logic. I think Mia Wachowska. Yeah, maybe like something. Right. I think maybe something psychedelic or like I don't. I don't think of like punishing brutal battle royale style competitions. Like that's not what Alice in Wonderland is about. Yeah, it, it's uh, a, a very just fleeting uh, connection between this show and Alice I in Wonderland. I guess they thought it would if, be the cards would be enough because that's the queen of heart. Like, that's the villains. And I guess they thought that was, we're doing it, but like one more level before you can really stake your claim. Because so many things are also, everything's already riffing on Alice in Wonderland. Like, pick something more obscure. Yeah. Something. Totally. So, I mean, the the, the title is, for me, it's, it's so bad. Almost a barrier to entry. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like the show a lot. I enjoyed a lot about. It. I mean, it's it's silly, but you know, the, the show's fun. super fun, entertaining. It, it's 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 a fun ride, minus the uh, the emotional falsehoods that I took uh, issue with um, much more so than Lon. But Alice in Borderland on Netflix right now. You can uh, bin. It's a yeah. It is a quick watch because the the episodes are anywhere from what like forty minutes to an hour. And uh, they, they yeah, there's fly like by. eight of them. It's it's a it's a it's a real easy, quick, quick watch. Cool, Alice in Borderland on Netflix. Let's let's take a quick break, and we'll hear Lon's thoughts on Tenet. Lon, you watch Tenet. I haven't seen it yet. It, it is Tenet is my white whale. <laughs> but please give us uh, give us your thoughts. Yeah, I just have one word for you, Tenet. 
because they don't explain what the hell's going on. It's it's so confounding that the movie doesn't even try to explain itself to you. Every time a character is like, hey, what uh, is going on? The other character is like, ah, don't worry about it. You don't need to know. Like, at one point, a character even says, like, don't, don't try to understand it. Just feel it. And it's like, that's Nolan talking to you. This is, without a doubt, one of the most confounding movies I've ever seen. And, and I was one of the people that when Inception was out and everybody was like, it's too confusing. I was like, it's not that confusing. It's pretty, like, there's just four different levels of uh, memory or dream that they're going to. And each one is on a different timeline. So as long as you figure that out, you can keep it straight and blah, blah, blah. This one is like, what? Like, nothing anybody is saying makes sense. By the third act, it's just completely bonkers. Like, I don't think that this is ever even unpackable. Like, I may try to watch it again. But, like, come on. So like, where on... Uh- on a scale between Inception and David Lynch's Inland Empire. But, like, David Lynch, like, it's supposed, like, David Lynch's Inland Empire is non-narrative. Like, there's no, there's no attempt to, like, here's the story, and you just gotta unpack it. It's like, there's no story. These are just things and ideas that collide in ways that he thinks are interesting. But, no, Tenet is trying to express something to you, like, Here's what happened to this guy. And you're just like, I don't what. And the I also feel like when he was writing this and, and discussing it with people and showing it to people, I bet the idea of action scenes where some people are going forward and some people are going backward sounded really cool. But when you see it, people going backward, just it doesn't seem like they're in charge of what they're they're just being flung around. Like it's not exciting to watch an action scene where a guy's being, like, thrown through a room backwards. You're just like, well, what's going on? Where's he going? Like, it it just, our brains don't friggin' work that way, Chris Nolan. Uh, What are you trying to do, you bastard? So you think the the pitch, the green light meeting for Tenet was basically of all hinged on a visual? No, I mean, I don't think Christopher Nolan has to pitch. I think he just goes into the room at WB and, like, buttons his cufflinks and says like, oh, gentlemen, the new one's called Tenet. And they're like, cheers, Chris, here's 250 million. I, I mean, I think that's how it happens. One bloke goes backwards, one bloke goes forwards, and we'll laugh all the way to the bank. Is Tom Hardy in this one? Will we be able to hear him? No, Tom Hardy. Great, Chris, that's, that's good. Here's 150 million. So yeah, I feel like it doesn't, but I just think like, it does sound cool. Like when you tell somebody that as the premise you're like, oh, yeah, backward fighting forwards. Yeah, that'd be cool. But you just see it. Yeah, it makes just for like, a badass looking trailer. But you just see it in the movie and it's just it's like there's something just inherently not exciting about it. It just feels like people are being thrown around and you can't follow it that way. It's just there's nothing viscerally like cool, like the way like when there's nothing like when Vin Diesel jumps at a dude in Fast and Furious 6 and, like, flying headbutts the guy on the plane, there's nothing that makes you go, like, yeah, like a flying headbutt. Like, and, and th- this movie desperately cries out for Robert Pattinson to give somebody a flying headbutt, and it never happens. Well, I think what we learned from Pattinson's experience on The Batman is that he's, he's not in good enough shape to do something like that. Well, he should get there if he wants to make Tenet. 
God damn it. According to Matt Reeves, anyway. So, uh, you know what? Despite your less than lukewarm r- review there, Lon, I, 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 I still, I, I will watch Tenet soon. I'm sure people are going to watch it. And, like, I want more people to watch it so that my jokes land with more punch. Because I feel like I'm going to be, feel like I'm going to be goofing on this crazy movie for a while. It's just, it's just like, because it's, it's crazy and stupid, but without being fun. Like, that's what, because, like, Brana, Kenneth Brana's the bad guy, and he's like, this is not a spoiler. Like, but, and he's almost a Bond villain. Like, you could, you know, he's like 90% to being a Bond villain, but Bond villains are, like, colorful and eccentric and interesting, and he's just, like, not any of those things. And, and it's just like, why could this movie be fun? It's not serious. It's not about anything. I'm not taking it seriously. Why couldn't it be fun? Why does it have to be so dry and somber? That's a great question. Things should be a little bit more fun and not solely dry and somber. I mean, unless it's like serious. Like if it's serious, then make it serious. But this this ain't serious. This is not what if you were a spoiler, but not getting flung backwards. That's not serious. Yeah. Christopher Nolan, his movies aren't rollicking fun times for the most part. And like, and I like, look, I think that's okay. Like, like there are some times where the movies are about stuff and it's interesting and it doesn't need to be like a, a, a nonstop exciting thrill ride. And that's fine. But like this one is so silly and crazy and it's already a spy movie. It's like, if you want to riff on James Bond, actually riff on James Bond. Like those movies are fun and exotic and sexy and exciting. And this movie is like, not any of those things. Just like, let's take a bunch of meetings and then go backwards through time. It's like, well, if you must, all right. Well, backwards, forwards, at the same time, I look forward to watching it. And uh, I will uh, I will circle back with you with uh, my thoughts on Tenet sometime, Lon. But I, I, appreciate, I appreciate your perspective there. Thank you for sharing that. And I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank Starburns. I want to thank our awesome producer, Adam Macias. I want to thank Owl Nation. Hoot, hoot. What does Owl Nation mean? Whatever you want it to mean. That's what that is. And Lon, tell us uh, where we can find you. Uh, Find me on Twitter at L-O-N-S. That is the best place to keep up to date with everything I'm working on. Fantastic. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Hal Rudnick. And check out my Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash chuckleface. Lots of good times and some comedy stuff going on on there. And uh, Lon, you might pop on there and talk some uh, streaming with me sometime, right? Right, yeah. Lon? <laughs> Let's do it after I sneeze. Yes. Gesundheit. Gesundheit to everyone out there. <laughs> and uh, have a safe and uh, happy uh, holiday. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bye now. Bye. Right. boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch in the fuck out of shit.